readings for this morning. Now we move on to the sermon for this morning, uh, continuing the book of Luke and the account of John the Baptist. And uh, so uh, the title of the sermon is there on the screen this morning. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting title, Vipers, Illegitimate Children, and Dead Trees. And we're going to find out in a moment what that's all about. Um, and the big idea this morning is that true salvation must include repentance, and true repentance always bears fruit. And from the three verses we're going to be focusing on this morning, we'll see uh, these three thoughts. Vipers flee the fire. God's children bear his fruit, and dead trees are fuel for the fire. And uh, I have a quote here I, would, I saw the other day, and I thought this was good. The life this life was not intended to be the place of our perfection, but the preparation for it. And so that's something we're going to keep in mind as we look at this topic. Last week, we talked about the way of repentance, and we talked about John, who was the one that Isaiah prophesied, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And we talked about the fact that there's a time for repentance, there's a call to repentance, and there's a promise that comes with repentance. And as far as the timing, the timing is now for unbelievers to repent and turn to Jesus. And the time is now for believers to examine themselves, to see if they're in the faith, to see if any sin remains in us that we have not confessed. It is always the time for repentance so long as even a microbe of sin remains in us. So John the Baptist called people to repentance as a preparation for Jesus, whose ministry would soon begin. And the promise to those who repent is that they will see the salvation of God. So let's read together. We're going to read the first 14 verses of Luke chapter 3, but then we're going to just focus in on uh, verses 7 through 9 for this morning's lesson. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what, are, what shall we do? 
And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. All right, so again, the big idea is that true, repent, true salvation must include repentance, and true repentance always bears fruit. So we're going to look at the first point there, which is that vipers flee the fire. So to start out, can you imagine any of those smiling preachers today who tell everyone life is all roses and their best life can be now and every day is a Friday can you imagine any of them starting their talk or a television interview and saying to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And people will not pay to hear that man. <laughs> and they won't pay to buy his books. Not most people anyway. How offensive. How can you call someone a brood of vipers? Whether on a large scale, such as a televangelist, or on a small scale, such as a tiny church in a tiny village, the temptation facing every preacher is to be liked and appreciated, and all of that. And just so you know, sometimes we pick on the famous so-called preachers or pastors because they are famous in saying unbiblical things. But sadly, what is played out on the TV week by week with some of those is multiplied thousands of times over in much smaller churches where the local pastor who knows he will never be as famous as the one of those guys, still he feels the wrath of certain people the moment he preaches a difficult passage. Many pastors and many Christians have been convinced that the only way to win the world around them to Christ is to do something other than teach the gospel. You see, if you have not addressed the sin problem, and if the holiness of God hasn't been mentioned, and if you haven't talked about the wrath of God towards sin, if you have not gotten the attention of the one you're sharing the gospel with to know they have a real problem, that the wrath of God is real, and they must turn to Christ to avoid this wrath, then you really have not shared the gospel at all. John the Baptist didn't tell people, there's a guy coming, you should listen and follow him because his teachings will make you happy. He didn't say, make sure to check out his healing abilities. He didn't say, if you follow the guy coming after me, then all your personal relationships will be suddenly improved, and you will get that promotion you've been waiting for. No, John warned of a wrath to come. And when he pointed people directly to Jesus, he didn't say, look, bring out your blind and the lepers. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You cannot have the gospel, which means good news, without first knowing the bad news. Good news is meaningless unless it has to do with some positive change, and not the kind of positive change that Joel Osteen preaches, but the change that brings peace with God and turns his wrath away from guilty sinners, the kind of change that brings real and true repentance, reliance, and restoration in Jesus Christ. It's not popular with the world to point out the fact that they have a sin problem. And yet, the most loving thing we can do is to alert people of their problem and to reveal to them how they have been deceived to believe that they are not subject to the wrath of God. If we are thankful for a friend who pulls us aside and says, hey, there's a stain on your shirt. I just wanted you to know. And we're thankful to that friend, aren't we? Because he told us something we need to fix just to avoid some embarrassment. How much more ought we to thank someone who is willing to tell us about the stain of sin 
If it continues to be a stain for us, we will be disqualified from eternal life and much worse be subject to the wrath of God. But if someone walked up and handed you a wet cloth or a stain remover pen and didn't tell you why, you'd have to wonder. I once worked with someone who I think sadly had a condition that made their breath really, really bad. And nobody wanted to tell this coworker about the problem. Instead, they all gossiped about it, me included. Can you believe how bad that breath is, we'd say to one another? Maybe someone should leave a toothbrush or mouthwash in their locker as a hint. No one would tell this person about the problem they seemed unaware of. How loving is it then when those in the church look at the world around them, shaking their heads and talking about how terrible the sin in the world is without telling those who are subject to God's wrath the bad news. You see, the good news is not meaningful unless the bad news is told first. So, G- so John here uses what some may consider very harsh language. You brood of vipers who warned you of the wrath to come. And who did he say this to, by the way? Look right above it says, he said it to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him. Okay, that seems even more harsh, doesn't it? They made the trip, they went out to hear the man and to be baptized by them, and he, he calls them a brood of vipers. Imagine if we had our greeters, our deacons and our deaconesses, stand and greet each new face as they walked into the door of Oasis Church visiting the first time, and instead of a smile and thanks for coming, they shouted at them, you brood of vipers who warned you of the wrath to come. Get back in the car, honey. I'm not going to visit this rude church. It's probably what a lot of people would say. Now, I'm not suggesting we do this, by the way. Um, but this should give you a sense of the seriousness of John's message. He is not at all concerned about calling people out for sinful attitudes. In fact, you may say he lost his head because of it. Herod cut off his head because of the offense of John calling sin, sin. Just like you would find in any church today among John's hearers were those who were sincere and those who probably weren't. He had people who were truly concerned about being right with God and probably people who were just trying to get whatever religious thing was the fad at the time or they wanted to be where their friends were. And he asked the question, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The image here is a bit like what happens when snakes flee from a fire. You may recall the Apostle Paul got bit by a viper escaping the fire And so many of you, if you share your faith, may find that those you are warning to be hostile to you. In fact, I don't even really need to illustrate this. Every day on every news report almost, you can see what happens to those who call sin, sin. You're canceled. You will have your account closed. Even banks in our country have done this. The bank does not like the message you preach or the values you hold, so they close the account. Social media, if you put something offensive on there to the sinful world, people will report you and you'll lose your access. People will boycott and protest churches, businesses, and even show up at people's houses if they declare they have biblical views on marriage. Or if they say abortion is sinful, not only must you allow the sin to happen, you have to cheer it on as well. 
In fact, a case just went all the way to the Supreme Court, all because a lady who was a Christian web designer refused to make a website for someone who she felt was promoting a sinful lifestyle. Thankfully, the court said she can't be compelled to make the website, but these cases will surely keep coming. Will we fold and refuse to obey our Lord's command to preach his gospel, or will we be bold like John? Next point here was that God's children bear his fruit from verse 8. He said, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now John says to the people that they must not put too much faith in their heritage. Another offensive thing to the people of his day. Many Jewish people lived under a delusion that because they had this lineage, they would all eventually be saved. And John says, it isn't your physical lineage that matters. It is a spiritual lineage. You see, the people of Israel had an advantage. Paul wrote about this advantage that they had in in the book of Romans. He asked the question uh, for himself to answer. He says, what advantage has the Jew? And then he answers his own question In uh, Romans 3, verse 2, he says, What advantage says the Jew? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And then Paul goes on to trace uh, that the fact that the Jews have this advantage, but he does not say they're free of sin or free of the wrath of God. Rather, their advantage is that they have the oracles of God. That's the advantage. It was through their nation that God had revealed himself. And his plan for salvation through prophets and through his mighty acts, God had proven himself to Israel. And so Paul goes on to say that though they have this advantage, they're not better off because there's still sin. Verse 9, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So John is saying to these people that they must bear fruits in keeping with repentance. You see, he knew that not all the people he baptized were truly repenting in their hearts. Just as today, a person could be baptized and maybe not be saved. A person could be in the church and know the language of the church and know the doctrines of the church and know the people of the church and still not be saved. Now, It isn't our job to sit and always try to figure out who is and who isn't really sincere. Jesus gave a parable about weeds and tares or weeds. And he talked about how sometimes the weeds are going to grow up. And if you try trying to tear out all the weeds, you're going to tear out the good wheat too. So that's not what we're supposed to do. Basically, Jesus taught that in the church, there would indeed be false Christians. Yet, we're not to try to root them out unless some visible sign of error is clear. A person who lives in unrepentant or public sin, a person who teaches a false doctrine, those types, Scripture clearly tells us that we are to deal with, and Scripture guides us on how to deal with those. And we don't see that John is giving long interviews to those who came to be baptized in this repentant act. In other words, he's not giving them a big quiz to see if they're really sincere. But he gives a clear warning. If we love people, we warn them of dangers they're facing or may be facing. And Paul likewise warned people who would take communion in an unworthy manner. We owe it to people to give fair warning. 
People may be baptized who are not truly saved. They may take communion and not be truly saved. We cannot see into their hearts. God judges the hearts. All we can judge is what our senses provide us. We can observe what someone says, the confession they make. We can observe the actions they do. Do they bear fruits in keeping with repentance? What are those fruits? Well, there's the fruit of the Spirit, the outward evidences. Yet even a person who shows good works may not be a truly repentant person because even secular people do nice things. They have charities, and they are kind sometimes to neighbors. John says to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. It isn't that any of these actions will save us, but a truly repentant person will show evidences. As Luther said, we are saved by faith alone, but it's not a lonely faith. Those who are in the faith will show fruits because it is impossible for them not to, if they're truly in Christ. These fruits are displayed in many ways, and Christians are matured at different speeds, you may have noticed. Um, But we must be careful we don't get frustrated with one whose fruit seems to be slow in coming or not quite ripe when we would like it to be. Instead, we need to water it with the word and prune. And this is why we think it is so important here at Oasis Church to preach and teach the word of God because not only is it life and salvation for all who are brought from being dead to sin to being alive in Christ, but also that once being made alive in Christ, we want every believer to thrive in Christ. And this can only happen when God's word penetrates our hearts. And his spirit who inspired this word, works in us to continually cleanse us of our sins. Only when this happens can we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Yet some say, I, you know, I don't need all these doctrines. I don't need to spend all that time reading the Bible. I, I just have Jesus and that's enough. Yet Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. How can you keep his commands if you don't know what they are? And this word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, we have access to more than any generation in history. Every one of us has easy access to God's word. Paul said the Jews were advantaged because they had the oracles of God. How much more then are we without excuse when we have his word at ready access Let us never presume we know it well enough. Some of you got perfect grades in algebra. But if you are now 20 years or more past high school and you have not done algebra since then, could you possibly sit down and work the formulas without help now? Why then would any Christian believe that once they learned the basics, no further word study was needed? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not think because your parents had the faith or you attend or you're a member even of the church that somehow that's where your salvation lies. Your salvation lies in Christ alone, in faith alone, through Christ alone. And uh, I want to close this little section with this quote from Kent Henry who, who talked about this danger that people have that they sometimes believe their association as these Um, Jewish people that were talking to John thought, well, I'm Jewish. I have Abraham. I'm Abraham's ancestors. And sometimes we do that in the church. And here's what Kent Henry said. John struck a mighty blow at the common delusion that connection with righteous people will save our souls. 
Thousands in every age have believed that association with the godly will make them acceptable to God. But faith in blood ties or church membership has led whole generations to destruction. Those in the church where so many are related to someone who works in Christian service are especially susceptible to such deception. But all a prominent name will get you apart from God's grace is greater judgment. So don't think that because of your association with another Christian person, whether it's your parents or the church you go to, somehow has to do with you. You need to have your own personal decision of following Christ. Then the third point here is dead trees are fuel for the fire. The fire spoken of here is the terrible wrath of God, the wrath of God's fury. Paul said it had already begun, if you look in Romans chapter 1. Basically, God's wrath is being evidenced in the fact that he lets people keep sinning. Hebrews 12.29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. John is warning about wrath, and it's coming soon or has already begun. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Now, some translators have this as, though, as the axe laying at the root of the trees. In that case, the view is like, there's a worker preparing to cut the tree down. He's laid down his axe, and he's, it's resting at the root of the tree, and it's ready, and in moments he will pick it up and start swinging. The other view that has been taken of this, and probably most of your translations would say something more like this, that the axe is already at the roots. It's already begun to cut, and the fruitless tree is being already brought down. In either case, there's a great sense of urgency in John's message. Throughout the whole Bible, we see illustrations that use agriculture to make a point. And I think this is why people who are farmers who do gardening sometimes resonate so well with Scripture, and particularly the parables of Jesus. The figure here is pretty easy to grasp, even if you don't have a green thumb. A tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down. It's wasting space where a more productive plant could be. I have a hibiscus tree that takes a lot of work. And there's times where I can't seem to get any flowers to bloom on it. And there's been times that I've had dozens of new blooms every day. When it's not blooming, I'm tempted to just get it out of there. Like, what's wrong with this thing? And the little pests come back and attack the flowers before they can even bud, and I have to deal with those. It either has too much or too little water all the time. The leaves turn yellow sometimes, and yet, when I'm ready to cut it down, I remember how it looks when it's full of blooms. And so I give it a little more time, a little more care. I go and prune it. I go get something for the bugs, and eventually it blooms again. But if it went an entire year with no blossoms... Two years for sure, I would pull it out and put it on the curb. I couldn't burn it because they don't allow that in my neighborhood. But figuratively, that would be the case. That's what John's talking about it here. So it is that John says that the tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Notice he does not say the tree does not bear any fruit. He wants not just fruit. He wants good fruit. And that is the fruit that is in keeping with repentance. So again, our big idea was that true salvation must include repentance, and true repentance always bears fruit. We talked about the first verse we were talking about was vipers fleeing the fire, then God's children bearing his fruit, and then 
dead trees are fuel for the fire. And now we will hopefully get next week to the question that the people ask then of John. Well, then what are we supposed to do about this? And we will see his answers to the people of Israel that he spoke to. However, since I always delight to share the good news, and since this sermon may have seemed particularly bleak, and since we have called sinners vipers, and we've talked about the wrath to come, and spoken of trees that are worthless and need to be burned down, let us then end on a note of rejoicing in the good news of the gospel. You see, all of what John warned is true. God's wrath is coming. Our God is a consuming fire, and Jesus is the only one who can save us from the wrath to come. Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were sinners, we were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. If you would follow Christ, you would turn from being a son or daughter of disobedience to becoming a child of God, one who walks not in the flesh but by the Spirit. Colossians 3, 6, Paul said, On account of these the wrath of God is coming. And 1 Thessalonians 1, 10 to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. He's our propitiation. One of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, often says, you're Christians now, you need to learn some big words. Propitiation is one of those words. Propitiation is a gift or a payment that turns away someone's wrath. Jacob sent presents ahead uh, when he was going to meet Esau, and he was deathly afraid because he had years ago cheated his brother uh, in a pretty nasty way. And so he sends all, a whole convoy of presents ahead to Esau. That is propitiation. So that by the time they face to face, Esau's heart is softened, and he embraces his brother Jesus is our propitiation who turns God's wrath away from us. 1 John 4.10, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. True salvation must include repentance, and true repentance always bears fruit. Vipers flee the fire, God's children bear his fruit, and dead trees are for the fire. All of this leads up to our time of communion, since as John the Baptist cared enough to warn those who put their faith in the identity of Israel, so Paul also warns those who identify with Christ but have not examined themselves or who would take communion in an unworthy manner. So I'm going to close the sermon with a prayer, then we're going to go right into our time of taking communion together. Lord, I do thank you for your word. As harsh as it seems,